Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Bloke and the Bird Show. Episode two. Yes, I, you know, I was trying to decide whether or, not, whether or not we kept going with the, the episode numbers or not. You know, this is the time that, to set the tone and figure that out. I hadn't decided which way I wanted to go yet. But it's a big number, too. Okay. <laughs> we came back? Yes, we did. All right. So we are where we have left off. We know that there were some audio issues with the last episode that we And Michael's clicking. very sorry. Yeah, we're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, hopefully, we, we've made some changes this week. Hopefully, that will resolve it and that will go away. We won't have the clicking anymore. Don't know what was causing that. Um, we have gotten the feed up. There is a link to it on the site. There is also a um, – we are up in iTunes and being published there. Um Stitcher and I are having a difference of opinion. We're working on it. Stitcher's just not that into you. Yeah. Stitcher um, doesn't quite want to believe that our podcast feed is valid. So we are trying to convince them that it actually is valid. And they're now not returning my emails. We'll try and figure this out. Okay. We're hoping that uh, Windows devices, if anybody's still using Windows mobile devices, um, we're hoping that those show up. Does the Zune still exist? The Zune is gone. However, it's now through Bing's tools, and we've got ourselves registered with Bing, but I'm not sure how the store works that you get podcasts on Windows nowadays, but theoretically we should be there now. You can't put stuff in the Zune store. That doesn't exist anymore. Okay. But theoretically, we are there, hopefully. By the way, we should also add – we didn't even mention this as we closed the show. We should have. That uh, the website is www.theblokeandabird.com. Yes. We're up on Facebook. Do a search for Bloke and a Bird Show. It, as a matter of fact, it's the same Facebook page that we've always had. We just didn't let it go away. Yeah. So that's it. still around. We're on Twitter too. Did you know we tweet? Yes. Well, we sort of occasionally tweet. <laughs> when we put up a show? When we put up a show, we tweet. Yes, because I've got that posting set up as well. Yes. It's working. All right. So there is so much to talk about, and the season hasn't even started yet. So we cannot waste time talking about how you can find us on iTunes now. Okay. We have to jump in because the day after, as you predicted, by the way, Mr. Psychic that you are, <laughs> the day after we podcasted last week, major news in Formula One occurred. It was really huge news. And, you know, we kind of expected that we'd get a quick little update, have a, a good idea of what the situation would look like. And that would be the end of it by maybe Monday. But this is now dragged out. All week long. And if you don't know, this is bigger than the will they, won't they, Lewis Hamilton and Nicole ever get back together, break up, get back together concept. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is major breaking news. If you are oh, under a Formula One rock last week, on the last day of the first round of Barcelona testing, Fernando Alonso, a new driver for McLaren Honda, who almost never gets into an accident? Uh, yeah, truly, that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why everybody and their little brother claims he's like one of the greatest drivers that's ever lived. Um, 
crossed the track almost at a right angle and ran right into the wall. Yeah, this was uh, at the entrance to turn three. Lost control of the car and hit the and it hit the wall. Now, I am going to run down after reading, I think, oh, nine billion stories on this. And that's an exact number, I'm pretty sure. Give or take a billion. Um, what I know are actual facts. This is what every story has agreed to. Are you ready? He was going 134 miles an hour. He hit a wall. He was taken to the medical center and then airlifted to the hospital. Well, we he, didn't. What, I'm not done yet. Because we didn't get the speed till the end of the week. I, I, this is the agreement and all okay. the stories. He was airlifted to the hospital. He was there for three days. I believe those are the only facts that are not in contention or being contradicted as of right now. The con- the controversial contradiction facts are as follows. He had a concussion at the track. He was concussed sometime afterwards. He is no longer con- He is not concussed. We have no idea if or if there – they will not confirm nor deny if there was well, a concussion. The original statement that came out indicated that while Alonzo was conscious the entire time, he, he did have a concussion and was sedated uh, for part of the stay at the hospital. That's what the original statement said. That's what we were operating under. That's what we were thinking. Okay. True. I will say this. I believe most of the stories also agree that Alonzo actually has no memory of the crash. Yeah. That there is some memory loss involved. And there is a theory, a theory that that might have led in part to why he stayed in the hospital for three days. There's another theory about why he was in the hospital for three days when all reports were that he was fine, he was okay, the CAT scan and MRI came back hunky-dory fine was that because it is in spain and he is such a big star in spain that they would they were on hyper alert to make sure that they did not release him to sort of the media throng they could protect him in the hospital more than they could outside that was the other theory ron dennis has come out and said he was not concussed at all there was a theory about what causes the crash Several of the articles indicated that he ran wide. He was took the corner at 134 mm-hmm. miles an hour. He ran wide, hit some slippery astroturf. The car caught the, the turf, caught traction again, and then shot across the track. Sebastian Vettel was right behind Alonzo, and his only quote, which is it's very brief, was that the crash seemed strange to him. And that's what all the media outlets keep harping on is well Vettel says the the crash seems yeah. strange well and i don't know i mean i don't know him well enough to know strange because alonzo never crashes or strange because he saw something that happened with the car the the attitude was that the the way the car took off um because you know one of the things you need to understand is that since this is testing there is no video of the crash because unless the teams are specifically videotaping something 
there's no video going on whatsoever. So nobody had any footage of the car as it took off or anything like that. The FIA doesn't participate to the same level as we see during the races. So the telemetry data that the FIA would normally have, they don't have. They're relying on McLaren to feed them information. They're the only ones who are pulling telemetry off the car. But what alarmed people and and what I guess really kind of triggered the the conspiracy theorists is that quite a few folks drew a parallel to how the car shot off the track to Felipe Massa's accident when uh, he was behind Rubens Barrichello in the Williams in – I believe it was Rio – when the Williams dropped the spring and hit him in the head, knocked him unconscious, and he plowed into a wall. So that's where that that's been a lot of the trigger for the conspiracy and saying that either there was something that happened with the car or Alonzo had possibly lost conscious beforehand or he was electrocuted because well, of the seals the, and that was yeah. the other thing is there's some known things that were going on with the Honda engine. So Ron Dennis, of course, was also saying that this did not possibly happen. There was thoughts that he had been electrocuted, that something had happened with the engine. And that is the conspiracy theorists are fueled in this because McLaren essentially did not take part in the next level of testing, even though they said the car was not horribly damaged. Well, they didn't bring the car back on the track the afternoon. They wrapped up their day. Right. Because there was still plenty of time for them to run. And they said that it was not badly damaged. And so everybody's thought was, if it wasn't badly damaged, why wasn't it back on the track? There must be something wrong, wrong, wrong with it. The other little piece, and this is in one of the many 9 billion stories that I read on this thing. There's one other little piece of data that does not appear to get contradicted anywhere, including Ron Dennis does not contradict it. But we also don't see him confirm it either. Yeah. The telemetry telemetry data that has been released, or somebody was discussed, states that Alonzo was shifting gears and accelerating. Yeah, this was something that the BBC reported on on, on Friday. But was no longer steering the car. Right. The... And the question is, with the loss of consciousness and things like that, the question is whether or not what what would have caused those combinations of things? Why would he have not steered the car when yeah. he still had the ability to shift gears? There's also another piece of, of information that came out, which was that he went to the medical center and then lost consciousness and he was unconscious to be airlifted was the other thought but alonzo has produced a quick little video that says he is okay yes Thumbs up. <laughs> from the um, family home and wherever spain and he says that he is doing well he is anxious to get back on the track he will not be returning to testing um because his doctors say don't no no you have to rest and it is not clear whether or not we will have Alonzo on the track in Melbourne. Yeah, that's the interesting thing is that there's talk that he may not get cleared for Melbourne, which is still a week away or two weeks away. I was going to say it's two weeks away. We're two weeks away at this point, and they're talking that he may not be cleared for that, which seems kind of odd. Now, before he, he 
is cleared to drive in the first place, he's got to do some cognitive testing and reflex testing with the FIA. The FIA has to sign off on it. So there is some possibility that there could be issues passing that testing. I don't know how involved it is. I don't know what it's like. I just know that they do these kind of tests, and that's like a baseline for them. Now, I will say this. Kevin Magnuson, who is now the reserve driver for Mm -hmm. McLaren Honda, chomping at the bit and all excited to get back into a Formula One car. That's broken. Well, yeah. (laughs) But he says, now, we have to, you know, level set. He's had all of 19 Formula One races under his belt. But he says that this car is so much better than last year's car. Well, you know, there was talk... um, Button commented on the car as well earlier this week, and I didn't I didn't send the story over to you because we had enough other stuff going on. Even Button says it is much more drivable and much better put together in, in terms of overall driving composure and, and, and handling than last year's car. It seems to be more of a power and reliability issue. Which – just spitballing here. Wasn't that part of their problem last year was power and reliability? No, power was most definitely not an issue for them because they're running the Mercedes engine that was the fastest on the track. Oh, that's that it's point. because their aerodynamics and the overall design of the car didn't leverage it as well as everybody else's did. So it they may possibly have the aero solved. Of course, it's also possible that the engine is running so slow that it seems like it's better, but it's really not. That you know, it's just not producing as much power. I don't know. Yeah. But Jensen says that this year's car also there there's much more to gain out of it, but it, it is not uh overwrought. So wrapping up the Fernando Gate I was trying to avoid doing that. I really was. Every every stupid scandal in F1 doesn't have to be called a gate of some sort. You know. Unless it happens in D.C. along the Potomac River. Then I'll allow it. But otherwise, it's just silly, stupid controversy. I'm sorry. Ever since we had Watergate, everything is a gate now. And the only thing that's not a gate is when it's an affair. Like, you know. <laughs> You've been dying to pull that out. You gave me the opportunity to. Anyway, so <laughs> we'll call this concussion gate. Anyway, um, we do wish Fernando a speedy recovery. I am quite sure that people that are close to Fernando will take our warm wishes directly to the F1 driver, is then he will feel much better about it. And even if they did, I'm pretty sure his response is going to be, who the hell are these people? (laughs) I think he's a nice enough guy. He'd be like, oh, they're wishing me well. Okay. And then he'd give us a thumbs up because that seems to be what he's doing right now. Well. Everything seems to be thumbs up. He gave thumbs up from his hospital bed, thumbs up from the wheelchair leaving the hospital, and thumbs up from his family home when he did his YouTube video. Is, isn't that what you do when you can't talk to the cameras but you need to give some indication that, yeah, everything is great, I'm doing really good, even though, wow, this really hurts. I think really that's what hurts. you do, do when you have a concussion. <laughs> <laughs> a concussion that Ron Dennis is not willing to admit. Yeah. 
Okay. You know, that that's the other thing is they've been talking about – and I'm not going to let it go just yet. Um, you know, there was all this talk that McLaren is covering up and, and why won't they come clean and why won't they give all this the, the information out and why won't they tell us what happened? But what is the benefit to try and cover this up if it was a failure of the SEALs that, and he was electrocuted and, and shocked? What benefit does McLaren gain if it turns out that he did actually pass out and that was the cause of the wreck? I can't see any. Combine that with the fact that if the car was truly unsafe because of a problem with the, with the SEALs, the FIA wouldn't run it. If the car was unsafe because of a problem with the SEALs or fumes or whatever getting into the cockpit, there's no way they could keep that out uh, – keep Jensen from finding out about it. There's no way they could keep Kevin from finding out about it. And neither one of them have death wishes. So they wouldn't get in a car if it was manifestly unsafe. So what benefit is there? It's a simple benefit. And I'm surprised that you're asking this question truly. Okay. It is a chink in the armor. You never, ever allow someone to see that there's a chink in the armor. You can't use that phrase anymore. Why not? Did, did you not hear about the controversy that happened about – oh, it was last month. The army used that phrase in a statement. And a Chinese-American soldier filed a complaint and started a, com- a campaign alleging because chink has been used as a racial slur against the Chinese that the term was offensive. And as a result, the army has banned that from all of their statements. You cannot use the phrase chink in the armor despite the fact that it was used properly and appropriately and in no way had anything to do with being a slur of any sort. You know, yet further reason I am very thankful I am not under purview of the army. (laughs) Back to our chink in the armor concept. (laughs) I will use it double time now. (laughs) We are going to get emails. From who? I don't know. The the past general that we used to have the phone number for? I mean, seriously. (laughs) We had his old recycled phone number and got calls from the Pentagon looking for him. You're kidding me. I doubt that's going to happen. All because our Formula One podcast used the phrase appropriately, chink in the armor. However, that's the exact point. This is, there is a level of sportsmanship bravado that has to occur. You cannot make Fernando look weak. You cannot make it look like he passed out, he was sick. He, you can't do that. That's not standing behind your guy. And on the, if he was electrocuted or there was a seal problem or something like that, there could be a seal problem there and not when Jensen ran it because they changed something and then they returned it back. They might not want to freak anybody out. And you know something? They might not want the FIA looking too closely. So if you suddenly say there's a seal problem and he got shocked and that's what happened, guess what FIA is going to start looking at? Except given the level of safety and I, I, I don't see that being realistic in today's F1. I really don't. I don't know. I Maybe think- the 1960s F1. But today's F1 and how 
you know, every, everywhere on the track, it says, Bernie says, think before you drive. They are all about safety now because okay. Bernie says it. Bernie. Over the bad hair Bernie's? Yes. Um, frankly, I think that Ron Dennis would eat his own shorts before he would allow that there was any possible mistake in the move to join with Honda and bring Fernando Alonso on board and to allow the press to have that piece of nugget, he would eat his own tongue first. I don't know. Can we move on now? Okay. Where would you like to go next? I want to go with how well are our teams prepared for Melbourne? Because that testing, we are through the penultimate day of testing. They have one more day of testing tomorrow. And testing is done. I mean, basically, it is over. They've got all their data. We know stuff about them. We know where they're, they're falling out. They should know stuff. Are they ready for Melbourne? Who is, who isn't? Okay, well, continuing on the trend, McLaren screwed. McLaren? <laughs> you want to talk about how screwed McLaren is? You, McLaren, has come, McLaren has come out and said that they don't expect to make progress until May, which really means June, maybe August. No, not necessarily. I mean – Again, a lot of the comparison that's been going on has been this year's McLaren to um, the closest is Red Bull last year. And Red Bull was saying pretty much the same thing coming out of testing. They were having very similar numbers of laps that were run without the car bursting into flames. And, uh, you know, they, they ran into a lot of trouble also in testing and got limited runs in testing. And. Red Bull kind of said the same thing, which, yeah, we think probably about the time that we finish the, the flyaway races and we get to Barcelona, that's when you're going to see things start to change and start to pick up. And it did. I mean, keep in mind, Red Bull was the only other team to win a race last year besides Mercedes. Right. I understand So, that. you know, you can't completely write off McLaren, but it's not looking really good. I think that this needs to be a rebuilding year. You know, much like the Browns for the last 20 years. Well, okay, so then McLaren for the last three years. Has been in a rebuilding because, year. you know, 2012 they had a great car that they couldn't run and they couldn't service properly in the pits. 2013 they ruined the car. Literally. Well, that's because they changed from a push to a pull or a pull to the push. They changed that. That was whoever should have been fired. Well, the logic behind that, without getting too deep, was basically if you do it right, it's faster. And if you do it wrong, it screws everything up. And okay. they did it wrong. That is an if-then statement that I'm not sure is worth the gamble. That's what Ferrari was running. But anyway. Anyway. So then we move into 2014, where they had the engine that was top of the class, mm -hmm. and they were still struggling with it. All right. And now we're going to end up with 2015, and they're just going to continue that struggle. Well, because they changed out the engine, and they're 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 not they're still rebuilding. They're in a rebuilding year. That's all I'm going to tell you. All right. So we've got McLaren is not doing very well. 
also probably still down at the bottom. Well, I'm just going to guess because we don't really know how it's going to shake out. But I'm betting that Force India will be down there as well. Hey, they they brought their actual 2015 car to this last round of testing. It did. It ran on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about all we've got on it. it. Hey, that was the news. Put a period at the end of that sentence and let's move on to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, well, it was seventh uh, in testing day three. Um, Hulkenberg had a comment that Force India still needed to remain grounded with their new car. So I think that they saw some positive results, but they couldn't get too excited about it. It's- well, the thing is, and, and again, we there's still some teams pulling some punches here. We don't know what fuel loads were and, and, and tire matches and stuff, but Hulkenberg was seventh ahead of the McLaren and ahead of the Red Bull. Mm-hmm. But he says don't get carried away with lofty ambitions because you just don't know a whole lot. No, you don't. So, okay, that's Force India. Um, I need to jump over to Mercedes and Hamilton because Hamilton posted the fastest lap today in day two. And Mercedes was on top yesterday too. Also, and both of those were on the harder tires, and everybody else was running. Exactly. So Hamilton, dang, I like this boy. <laughs> Hamilton declared that he's not looking at outside of his team for competition, and declared the rest of the Formula One grid. Are you ready for it? Quote of the day: Irrelevant. Well, in a way, they are. I I mean, you want to talk about cocky. Yeah. Y- you get that, yeah. In a way, they are. What it, the, the blurb that was pulled out was Hamilton has no interest in which team will be Mercedes' closest rival at the first race and will not be coming through the lap times of his rivals to see who is quick. They are irrelevant. Yeah. Now, I have spent intense number of hours analyzing Hamilton's game. Hours, huh? You did some level of internet research? Some. No, actually, I have spent a lot of time thinking through Hamilton's approach and his career and growth as he has become from a young man to a mature driver. Okay. And I'm I'm actually being serious and I'm not being flippant about the whole thing. When he was younger and won his first world title, he was all kinds of crazy cocky. He allowed he allowed a girl to totally screw up one of his years. Mm-hmm. Um, outside influences and even even in the interviews post his past season, talked about in his earlier years in Formula One. His, he leads with emotions. He drives emotionally. Yeah, I was going to say, he's a very emotional driver. And one of the things that got called out in 2014 particularly is even when he was – he lost those – I think it's five races in a row. And yeah. he was – I mean he was struggling. He was coming from the back of the pit – in the pit lane, from the back of the grid. And he had some serious issues he, that happened I mean to he him. fought back and fought back hard. But one of the things that kept getting called out was the maturity people were seeing in 
in Hamilton that he had grown as a driver and as a human to be able to roll with the punches. He didn't let last race's anger or his anger at himself for not performing at the top in last race affect his next race. Well, how about just qualifying? I mean, the perfect example, and the story came around, was mentioned quite a bit over having that disastrous qualifying in Silverstone. And he freely admits he went home that night. He beat himself up. He felt that he let himself down. He let the team down. He let the fans down. He was depressed. He was moping. He was sulking the whole time and came back the next day and won the race. Mm -hmm. But – And I think that that's, I mean, it's a sign of maturity. I mean, it's truly a sign of maturity. But I think while there's the part of me that wants to giggle and laugh at Hamilton's cockiness that the other teams are irrelevant, I think that that is part of the way he has grown up, that he competes with himself. And that was said, that um, BBC Formula One postseason where they talked about the rivalry between mm-hmm. um, Hamilton and Nico. Um, he they talk a lot about that Hamilton's biggest rival is himself. Yeah, and Hamilton put his goal was always to be first, and to be second was a loss. And Rosberg doesn't. Doesn't quite approach the races the same way. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that's completely true. I mean, the number of times that Ro- that Nico ended up in second, and he would talk about how he was crushed because he ended up in second, and and along the same lines, racing drivers want to be first. They, they want always to, want to be. They first. want to be and, first. But there was something that got called out, and I wish I remembered exactly how it was stated. That there was something about. Hamilton's drive is bigger for that. It, and he's not as, and, and truthfully, he's not as technical a driver as Rosberg is. Rosberg is technically an excellent driver. And that's what made their rivalry so great was Hamilton wins because he takes bigger risks. Yeah. And Hamilton came out ahead of him all the way back into karting days. Mm-hmm. And I think that 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 fed the rivalry further and fed it more. Um, But Hamilton could have easily fallen into the trap last year of I win over Nico because I take bigger risks and take bigger and bigger risks that were disastrous. And he held back and kept it to a technical level to keep the racing good and to keep those cars coming home because you don't win when you run it into a wall. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I wasn't being terribly flip. I really did look at his growth over the years. Okay. Even if you want to make fun of me because he's my driver. Okay. Well, anyway, since we're building our way through, even though we've jumped to Mercedes, um, yeah, Mercedes is going to own it this year. I, I I have no doubt of that. They're, Shh, don't jinx it. The the, the question is is truly going to be who's going to be nipping at their heels. Williams is looking strong. Lotus of all people may have stepped up their game again. They may be back to 
chasing at the podiums again. Um, they were at the final day of, of Test 2. They were top of the, the timesheets there. The other one that I think we're going to see run surprisingly, if nothing else, they're going to be running better than last year, I think is going to be Sauber. Sauber has been kind of strong lately, and they've been, you know, they were at the, the top of the, the timesheets a few times already. Um, but overall, they seem to be running a bit faster than Red Bull on occasion and even Ferrari. I think they're going to be nipping at the very least at Ferrari seals. Ferrari has come out, Kimmy particularly came out about Ferrari's new 2015 ride. And uh, the quote was that it's well-mannered. Yes. Actually, from what people are saying, um, compared to last year at testing, Kimi is obviously in a much happier place. Hmm. Um, And they're they're taking it to the fact that the car is much better than last year. Well, that's going to be Or at least better suited to him because that was what they talked about last year is that it didn't seem like – the new formula, much like with Vettel, it didn't seem like the new formula um, complemented his driving style. Well, that's true. Um, now, we do have some updates of some of our backmarker. Well, okay, our backmarker team. Manor Marusha. That is their official name that they have entered with. They have named their first driver. Uh, you, If you watched... Formula One last year, you will know this driver. He is an English boy, Sullivan, I believe is his last name. N- no, um, Will Stevens. Okay, not Sullivan. Not even close. <laughs> no, Will Stevens, who drove for Caterham uh, in their final race ever. Um, he is, I believe, a British touring car driver. Which is going to be kind of interesting as to how he's going to maintain his super license. I'm not sure he's even eligible to have a super license this year. Um, and that's part of what's going on right now. It looks like they're um, – well, Manor Marusha is planning on running. They have come out of bankruptcy. Not only have they come out of bankruptcy, but unlike what we saw with Caterham last year, and that was why um, I sent you the story. It was specifically for this one little piece of information. When Tony Fernandez sold off Caterham last year, all we knew was that it went to some mysterious Swedish or, or Swiss Middle Eastern financial consortium of some sort. We never found out who the owners were, who were behind the bid, where the money came from. We never heard any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And as many people suspected, the whole thing fell apart and the team imploded. We have heard who is behind Saving Manor Marusha. Correct. And where they've come from, where where the money has come from, what their backgrounds are. It's uh, actually electricity and, of all places, Sainsbury's, yes. which is a British grocery chain. Pretty good chain too. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the folks who are coming and rescuing this team. So it's not the mystery, and I think that gives it a little uh, – well, actually, a lot more credibility than the Caterham sale. Yeah, it's uh, Stephen Fitzpatrick uh, is the in- main investor behind uh, Manor Marusha. Mm-hmm. Um, they are on the FIA's entry list for the season. 
However, they have multiple asterisks next to them. Um, one for confirming Stephen's license, his super license, uh, and one for confirming that the car will pass and meet all the technical regulations. Uh, the expectation is that they are still going to run a modified 2014 car, but they have been told that it must meet all 2015 regulations. They can't. They are not getting anything waived. And they have to pass a crash test. And the official freight for Melbourne leaves at the end of next week. So they have a week to lower the front of the chassis five centimeters mm -hmm. and produce a new nose. So five centimeters. I don't know how thick the skin is on a Formula One car, but I'm guessing we're talking angle grinders. <laughs> I'm guessing that's how they're going to make this work. Although actually it's carbon fiber. I don't know how you grind down carbon fiber very carefully <laughs> it requires them to lower the front of the chassis by five centimeters not grind off five centimeters from the front of the chassis they need to but you've got to modify down. the the suspension and all of that yeah and yeah you yeah. can't run the, the tires a little underinflated and get away with it no i don't think that's <laughs> gonna work for you i don't think that's gonna work but, uh, yeah, crossing our fingers on that. Now, speaking of just – I'm sorry I'm jumping. But speaking of changes, did we mention that when we got to Mercedes that they are planning on doing most of their major engine changes on their tokens um, before Melbourne? We did not. And this is the, – the whole token thing is just – it's it's a mess. It is needlessly complicated and needlessly complex and – but the bottom line is that Mercedes has come out and they have said that they're going to do the maximum amount of upgrades that they can on this car in advance of Melbourne. Now, we don't know what some of the other teams are going to do. There's been a lot of question as to whether or not – because they're not required to submit their engines and before the season for homologation like we thought they were supposed to, and that was our early pre-testing controversy. Um, we've moved past that. But there, the question is, what benefit do you gain by holding off and not doing those upgrades? Okay, so I have a theory. This is the strategy part for you of this, when you upgrade. This is the whole thing. The Mercedes theory is get as many upgrades as they can before the start of the season. You're only allowed four engines mm -hmm. for the season. And so if you do a major enough upgrade to the engine, it requires a replacement to the engine, and you can't go backwards if it fails. Right. So their thought is get as many up front so that you get as much benefit from your upgrades as possible for the longest period of time. That's the, the philosophy for Mercedes. Mm -hmm. Holding back tokens to upgrade mid-season allows you to fix things that you see can be improved in the, the, the mid part of the season. There is a ginormous risk in that. Oh, it's a massive risk. Now, it's, it's one of those, if you gamble that and win, you're the hero. But the likelihood that you're going to gamble that and be the goat, pretty big. Well, okay, so you gamble it and you win – but you're still down on performance because you've had the races that you ran that first unupgraded engine. 
you're going to run slower than everybody else. Those are points that you have lost, that you have forfeited by not upgrading early in the season that you will not get back. Except that the theory is that they may not know what to upgrade until later in the season when they see things running. And here's the big key. Here's the big, big key. They don't know what the other teams look like, really, until we get to Melbourne. True. So they would be gambling as to what tweaks to make to beat the other teams versus if they know a little bit more. However, your theory, the way you're looking at it, makes those points only valuable and those tokens only valuable in hindsight. Well, the thing is, yes, you don't know compared to the other teams so much what to upgrade, but here's what you absolutely do know. If you're going to get close to Mercedes, you need to go faster. That's it. (laughs) You have to go faster because from the minute they hit Melbourne, they're going to be going a lot faster than you. Well, here's my question. Okay. Let's keep in mind that as far as engines go and how engines work, I know Jack. Let's Let's just admit that. Here's my question. Mercedes provides engines for other teams. Mm-hmm. Mercedes upgrades their engine. Do the other teams get the upgraded engine? Yes. Yes, it, it is. When, when they, they submit the engine with all the upgrades and stuff, it's, it's a homologated engine. Everybody who runs your engine has the same engine. There may be some minor tweaks when it comes to the software. But as for the mechanicals, it's the same thing for everybody that runs your engine. Okay. And, so- and it's not – when they're talking the, the manufacturer's tokens, it's not that, well, Force India has four tokens and Mercedes has four tokens and Lotus has four tokens. It's Mercedes, the builder of the engine, has those tokens, not the individual teams. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Okay, so it's Mercedes Engine Builders, which is not Mercedes Team. Yeah. Okay, so it's it's yeah interesting, um, but yes, so that's the tokens. Yeah, yeah. Um, Renault has got a big hurdle to try to catch up with currently. Currently, without the upgrades that Mercedes is talking about, they're running 10% behind Mercedes Mm -hmm. engines. They've got to figure out how to close that gap. Well, keep in mind the the other advantage that Mercedes has over any other team on the grid right now. And Ferrari could have come close to this if they had been willing to go and play nice with Marussia and keep keep them running. Mercedes supplies engines right now to four teams. They supply to the works team. They supply to Force India. They supply to Lotus. And they supply to Williams. Okay. Every one of those engines going into testing can be running a different spec. Correct. So Mercedes, as the manufacturer there, can get a wide variety of data coming back from each one of those spec engines. And as they go through testing, can make tweaks based on the results that they're getting from four different engines that are running. As compared to Honda, McLaren, one. Honda has one. Renault has two. 
and Ferrari has two. <laughs> so, you know, just right there, it would seem to have been in Ferrari's benefit to do whatever they could to get as many teams onto the track and running their engine. Let alone the fact that Honda decide, well, yeah, we're going to come back, but we're going to sign an exclusive deal. Yeah, what was that all about? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. So, I'm going to sum up all of testing and as we prep for Melbourne. Okay. Mercedes fast. Everybody else will be somewhere else on the grid. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maldonado will be in the wall. You know, Maldonado had um, a fast – has had some pretty fast runs. He's done very well in testing. Well, he can be fast when he stops hitting things. Yeah. And I know this is going to shock everybody. Marusha is going to be at the back of the – Manor Marusha will be at the back of the grid. If they run. If they run. But you know what? Those are my predictions. We're going to actually dig into the predictions next week because next week will be the last show before the season starts. So that will be the perfect time to go ahead and digest everybody else's uh, analysis of the three tests and everything that has happened. And we will dive in with our predictions. We're going to keep an eye out. Hopefully uh, Hilton Vacations or, or – um, Hilton Honors will be doing their Fantasy Racing League again, so we can get that started and go with that, because um, that was fun last year. It was only fun for you because you won. You were winning for a while until you changed a driver that you shouldn't have, and that was it. It was off to the races. Well, but then I forgot my password, and I couldn't change anything, and it was bad. Oh, well, that was different. But that's where we stand so far. Um, we haven't talked about... Ferrari's concept car for future F1. Can we not? No, we won't because it was two weeks ago. But uh, take a look at it. Wired actually in their Autopia blog did an excellent breakdown on the car and the political motivation behind it because it, the, the whole release of that concept was entirely political mm-hmm. um, from a company that doesn't do concept cars. But other than that, um, yeah, check us out in the feeds. Leave us a review on iTunes. We could use a few of them. Help get the word out. Remember, we are up on Facebook. Uh, tell your friends yeah, and tell your friends' you, friends. Especially if they listen to Formula One. And if they don't listen to Formula One. Get them interested. Yeah, there you go. But uh, other than that, I think uh, we will call it a show. 